It's called the COVID-19 Economic Recovery Act 2020. It was passed in the Ontario legislature this week. Bill 197 updates 20 current laws, but it's drawn the ire from many for not having public consultations on the changes and putting too much unilateral power in the hands of cabinet. Hello and welcome to the Unpublished Cafe. I'm Ed Hand. For many, the biggest impact will be on the environment as the Environmental Assessment Act is overhauled. Auditor General Bonnie Lissick has already said the law is not compliant under the Environmental Bill of Rights, which Doug Ford does not agree with. The province maintains these changes are needed. Infrastructure construction appears to be the focus of the COVID recovery plan for Ontario. This is an omnibus bill which touches on development charges, community benefit charges, expropriation, and education. MPP Steve Clark, the Minister of Municipal Affairs was invited to join us, but he has turned it down. Coming up on the Unpublished Cafe, we'll take a look at this sweeping piece of legislation. Joining us later in the show, Vicki McKenna of the Ontario Nurses Association, which is very unhappy with 197. As well, Mike Collins-Williams, Director of Policy at the Ontario Home Builders Association, will join us to discuss how it will impact residential construction industry. And Green Party leader Mark Schreiner will join us later in the show to touch on the environmental impact. First, Stephen Del Duca is the Ontario Liberal leader, and he joins us now. And, and Stephen, this is one big omnibus bill. Uh, first off, are you a fan of omnibus bills? You know, I, I don't think that they should ever be any premier's first choice. And I'm really discouraged to see that Doug Ford's chosen to go back to the same old playbook that he used the first couple of years that he was premier of the province. Uh, and he is choosing... Uh, this moment of crisis for the province to um, introduce and pass what I consider to be elements of a secret agenda. Uh, and uh, I think that's really unfortunate. What, uh, oh, you, you talk about a secret agenda. What would that be? Well, I think at the end of the day, uh, you know, there, there's, there was nothing that could have stopped the government from, from introducing this legislation in different ways over the last number of months that the legislature has been sitting as you said in the introduction, to have public consultations on this. We now have the Auditor General on record saying that they violated the environmental, the, the, the EBR, the Environmental Bill of Rights requirement. Uh, you know, all of it is, uh, all of it is uh, you know, frankly, unnecessary. And to have stripped away some of the protections that are in place, whether it's on the environment or in a couple of other cases, for critically important reasons under the guise of COVID-19, uh, just strikes me as something that's completely... Um, it's completely off-key. It doesn't make sense at this point in time. It's legislation that claims to be all about COVID, except none of it is about dealing with COVID. For example, when they decided to introduce omnibus legislation, you would have thought, I would have thought, that given, the tra- about the, given that we've seen a tragedy take place in our long-term care homes, there would have been something specific in there to deal with, perhaps cleaning up that mess. We are five weeks away from the start of the school year. We've not seen any clarity from this government to deal with that safely and properly, you would have thought, I would have thought, maybe you want to include something on that, something to support small business. The list goes on. And so they had many options in front of them. They chose instead to focus on those things that they they wanted to focus on that, again, have nothing to do with COVID itself. You know, the, the one thing I thought was kind of interesting, you know, we talk about how wide this, this bill goes, but it touches on education. Now non-teachers can run school boards. Uh, is that a problem? Does that improve education, or does it make it worse? You know, I think, yeah, I, you know, I can kind of understand where the government's coming from on this one, but I will also say in the consultations or discussions I've had with those who have a lot more expertise in education than I do, it's a little bit weird, I think, to insist that you want to create a provision 
so that people who are going to be responsible for delivering education don't actually have the experience of knowing what it's what it's like to stand in front of a classroom of students. And I think that that you know that kind of goes to the larger issue that Doug Ford has had with public education over the last couple of years. Prior to the pandemic, we saw nothing but disruption in our public education system. We saw cuts, we saw less funding, we saw teachers and their and their you know their leaders being disrespected. And I don't just say that as a politician, Ed. I say that as a father of two young daughters. Our our kids are twelve and eight and twelve and nine actually, and they're gonna be going into grade eight and grade four in just a few weeks. And I you know, I just don't think this premier or his minister of education value the public education system the way that it needs to be valued, especially in a moment when parents and students across this province are really anxiety-ridden because we, we don't know what's going to be happening in five weeks. And so, again, why you would want to introduce and pass omnibus legislation with all of the challenges that exist in public education and go after this one piece, uh, whether or not a director of education should be a qualified teacher, just tells me that you have the wrong priorities. Doug Ford has the wrong priorities for Ontario. Stephen Del Duca is joining us on the Unpublished Cafes, the leader of the Ontario Liberal Party, as we talk about Bill 197. And, you know, one of the, I guess the other things that really got people upset was the lack, lack of public consultation. And we never really got a clear answer as to why they didn't conduct, uh, conduct any public consultation. Well, I mean, the clear answer is that, again, as I said at the outset, Doug Ford's back to his old ways. He's back to his old tricks. He has a majority in the legislature. He knows this is a moment of crisis. We're in the middle of the summer. I think he suspects that most Ontarians aren't paying close attention to the workings of the legislature. So why not ram it through? Again, as I said a second ago, uh, no respect for public education, no respect for the way that we should be dealing with a democracy. And here's the other really ironic thing in all of this. From the very beginning of the pandemic, yes, the opposition parties have called the government to account for certain things, as we should. It is part of our responsibility in a healthy democracy. But I've also really been struck by the level of collaboration and constructive help that we've all tried to provide to the government, because it has been a crisis for the people of Ontario, for all of us, economic and health. Uh, and so I think if Doug Ford had reached across the aisle and spoken to us and spoken to the NDP and the Greens, we probably could have found a way through on introducing measures that truly would have had a positive impact because of the COVID-19 pandemic. Instead, he decided he was going to flex his muscles. He was going to ram this through. Uh, it is not, again, it's got nothing to do with the pandemic. It's all about delivering for, uh, you know, for a bunch of other reasons that only Doug Ford knows why he wants to deliver on these things. And that's a really, that's really unnecessary. I'm wondering, you know, if we look at the vote that happened in the in the House this week, not every PC lined up to support it. And of course, now Belinda, the MPP for for Cambridge, is out. I'm wondering, are the Liberals looking to I don't know, offer an olive branch to see if she would like to join your your party? I mean, at this point, I would say that I, you know, I I don't know, uh, I don't know Belinda at all. Mm-hmm. I, I I know of her. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say that I think that she demonstrated tremendous courage to stand up and uh, make it clear that she recognized the legislation was the wrong thing to do and the wrong way to do it. Um, I um, I don't think at this point in time we're going to be looking to uh, to sort of extend an olive branch to physically or formally join with us. But I will say that there are now 12 members of the legislature who sit as independents, including eight who are liberals. And what I've seen in my time uh, since I became leader about five, six months ago is that the group of 11 and now 12 has worked reasonably well together in terms of making sure that 
those 11 and now 12 independents have the opportunity to ask questions in the House, hold the government to account, speak for their constituents. And I suspect that Belinda will fit well into uh, into that overarching group of 12, which now includes three former members of Doug Ford's caucus, Jim Wilson, Randy Hillier, and now, and now Belinda herself. Stephen, thank you so much for joining us. My pleasure, Ed. Thank you so much for having me on, and you stay healthy. Stephen Del Duca is the leader of the Ontario Liberal Party. Bill 197 is an omnibus bill. It tweaks 20 pieces of previous legislation, touching on construction, education, the environment, and health care. Vicki McKenna is the president of the Ontario Nurses Association, and she joins us now. And, and Vicki, you say when Bill 197 was passed, it's a dark day for health care workers. Why is that? Oh, absolutely. And I mean, it was a big day for legislation. Uh, Bill 195, Bill 197 came through. And uh, I got to say, you know, these are feels very much and certainly nurses and health professionals, uh, when they see the legislation and the, the discussions and phone calls and emails I've had from them, they said, you know, this really feels like an attack, an attack on their rights as workers. And, you know, moving stuff, um, as, as this government is, certainly feels like a very, you know, strong approach uh, against workers. And unfortunately, you know, uh, particularly for the people, the over 68,000 that we represent across this province, uh, in this, you know, in the sector, they've been working really hard. They and they will continue to do everything they can for Ontarians, but this government does not. Their actions certainly don't demonstrate that they support workers, and uh, it's very concerning to us. We are quite we're worried about uh, these bills. We're worried about what's ahead. Um, and boy, oh boy, you know it's it's hard. It's really hard for them out there on the front line. You call it an attack on the rights of workers. What That's right. what rights what rights are being attacked? Well, here, particularly in Bill 197, and I think you, in your introduction, you talk about the number of pieces of legislation that this particular bill touches. But for us, in particular, it's the, the health and safety legislation, the Health and Safety Act, which is the law which requires employers to operate their businesses in, in the protection of their workers and moves much of law into the into regulation. Regulation can be changed easily, um, and, and it doesn't require legislative discussion, doesn't require debate in the House. And the biggest, one of the biggest, but not only, problems is that there was no discussion. There was no debate on this bill or 195 for that instance either. No standing committee opportunities for, for you know, we're called like the stakeholders for people who organizations that represent different uh, workers like us would be presenting there on why we we why we see a problem with a bill, what if they're going to pass it, what amendments that they should make that will protect workers. Uh, people might recall, and you might recall, we've been through quite a challenge with personal protective equipment, for instance, mm -hmm. during COVID, yeah. and such that we had to actually go to superior court, which is really an, a very much an unusual um, uh, action that we took. Um, and <laughs> this is not the norm uh, for us to have to go that route, but we did. We had to go there. 
unfortunately. And, you know, here we are now uh, in, you know, governments uh, on summer recess, uh, little opportunity to have conversations um, anywhere uh, with government officials or even bureaucrats on the issue. So, you know, as I said, it feels like a very heavy hand. Uh, healthcare workers feel like it's a dark day. Some of them are telling me it feels like a slap in the face. And um, they're very unhappy, very, very unhappy with it. So as are we. And we will, you know, pursue every avenue we can, uh, as, we, as we always will and always do. But in the meantime, you know, the people out there that are going to work every day that are caring for Ontarians are not feeling very well respected um, by this government. Vicki McKenna joining us in the Unpublished Cafe, president of the Ontario Nurses Association, as we talk about Ontario's Bill 197. And th- this legislation as well overrides your collective agreements, does it not? It does. It does. Uh, you know, again, you know, these are freely negotiated or arbitrated in some instances contracts. They're mature contracts. They've been in place for a very long time. And language and, protect, and protection in these kinds of in, in contracts are there for a reason. Um, they are there to protect the workers and the employer, quite frankly. And, and I like to tell people, and, and I think they they understand this if they think about it for just a little bit. If the workers are safe, so are the patients, the residents, the clients that they care for. You know, that's really mm-hmm. the bottom line on this sort of stuff. So if the working conditions are safe uh, for the workers, so are they for the people that they're caring for. And so this is a fight for workers, yes, but certainly for Ontarians at the same time. You find it a little hypocritical that 197 comes down the pipe, no public consultation, and the Premier all along through this whole pandemic has been calling you heroes through this. A little I think that's, yeah, yeah, that's really the, one of the most difficult uh, pieces uh, for people uh, to understand uh, at all. Um, and it feels, you know, very, you know, they said, I don't understand why, why he calls us heroes when he does, he treats us this way. Why is it that this can, why this can be true, why this can happen? Um, it, you know, it's one hand, uh, it's like the two, there's two different, uh, um, you know, sorry, there's banging going on. Mm-hmm. Like there's two different uh, things in play here. There's two different players. You know, it's the, here the premier, and, and I mean the premier, hearing the premier through COVID, you know, healthcare workers were feeling, you know, you know, he's, I think he's got it. He's got his eyes opened. He's going to, you know, talk about, deal with things that are important to keep Ontarians safe by keeping us safe. They were really quite optimistic. But over the last, um, the last couple of uh, weeks in particular with uh, Bill 197, Bill 195, and even Bill 120 or 75, which is all about home care. These are the kinds of things that I think when everyone's focus is on COVID, when these bills come into place, and they're, and they're huge bills that impact so many pieces of legislation, they kind of slip by um, when generally the public might not be aware. And I think that in this Bill 197, it expands the powers 
you know, certainly the lieutenant governor and council, it provides that codes and standards can be adopted by references and amended from time to time, whereas, as I was mentioning before, legislation is the law. And that is something that is very strong in regard to the protections. But when you move stuff off into regulation and the ability sort of, you know, at a whim to change a regulation or a standard without discussion, without consultation with the, where the impact is, which is at the front line, it's at the healthcare uh, delivery. It's, it's about patients and residents and clients as well. This is very disturbing. Vicky, I, wanna... I think it's too much. Vic, Vicky, I want to thank you for joining us. Well, thank you so much for your interest and for the public to know that, you know, the nurses and the healthcare professionals that we represent, they're there for them and they'll, They'll be there for them, but what they need is for the public to, you know, certainly keep their eyes open too and talk to MPPs and ask them, you know, what is it that they're doing because the changes are really detrimental to the whole system and certainly to the workers and the patient and themselves as uh, recipients of healthcare in Ontario. Vicki McKenna is the president of the Ontario Nurses Association. It appears the crux of Bill 197, the Economic Recovery Act, is the construction industry. There are many changes for builders in 197. Mike Collins-Williams is the director of policy at the Ontario Home Builders Association. He joins us now. And Mike, is the home building industry in the position to move Ontario's economy forward in recovery? Absolutely. Uh, Ontario's economic and jobs recovery is going to depend a lot in a large part on the housing industry rebounding quickly from the impacts of COVID-19. Uh, looking back, the housing sector played a critical role in supporting uh, investment in jobs following the financial crisis a decade ago. And uh, we believe that we're very well positioned to do so again. Um, Bill 197, which was recently passed, uh, the legislative amendments um, by the Minister of Municipal Affairs and Housing, uh, from our perspective, is, is going to support uh, new partnerships, new transit-oriented communities, and ultimately more housing uh, supply and choice across Ontario. And, and you talk about some of those, those uh, amendments. Which ones are you referring to? So, I guess more broadly speaking, um, the industry has slowed down uh, throughout the spring uh, and uh, with uh, the different health and safety protocols. Um, we were successful and, and it's to our best of our knowledge that there weren't any COVID-19 cases uh, directly related to any residential construction sites in Ontario. Um, but the fact of the matter is that significantly uh, there have been significant losses in jobs and um, Back to your first question about us being positioned to come back uh, strong. Um, the housing market is showing signs of life through June and July. And um, we were able to continue as an essential workplace through the COVID-19 crisis. Uh, but going forward, we've been in discussions with the government on uh, what potential changes could be made so that uh, for the remainder of 2020, and looking ahead into 2021 and 2022, uh, that we can support a strong uh, jobs and recovery. And when you think about housing, it's not just about the skilled trades on the sites. There's also urban planners, engineers, architects, lawyers, a uh, significant component of uh, banking and financing with sort of the mortgage industry. So it is a very significant industry in terms of how it impacts Ontario's economy. And I'd add to that 
of the supplies when you think about a, a home in a subdivision or a mid-rise or a high-rise building. Uh, the wood that you see that's being used in those homes that's uh, framing the structure of the homes, that is generally almost exclusively Ontario wood um, coming from our forestry sector supporting jobs in the north. And the concrete and the bricks that compo- are the main components of um, the exterior of homes or uh, the structure of high-rise buildings, generally those aggregates almost exclusively also come from Ontario. So the supply chains are very significant. Um, and this is why, as the government has uh, put together an Ontario Jobs and Recovery Committee, and they're looking at a broad range of different things, um, Bill 197 is just one component of this, uh, they are looking at a broad range of things impacting um, a variety of industries, but for the housing sector in particular, um, Bill 197 uh, made a number of legislative changes and uh, we're anticipating that there'll be more to come uh, to spur additional construction that may not have been able to happen otherwise. Now, and one of the changes, development charges, from what I understand, no longer have that 10% municipal contribution? Yes. So this is actually will provide greater financial certainty for municipalities that have been uh, worried about growth-related costs. And quite frankly, this will actually increase the cost of housing uh, not in a significant way, uh, but it, it is not uh, nothing. So um, development charges are complicated. Um, under the current existing regime before this legislation was passed, there was something called hard development charges. Uh, these were major pieces of infrastructure servicing communities in which uh, the development charge would be 100% cost recoverable. This is a development charge charged to the builder or developer, which inevitably is passed on into the cost of the home uh, and paid for by the consumer. Uh, And then there was something called soft development charges, which were 90% cost recoverable uh, with a 10% municipal contribution. Bill 197 is proposing to eliminate uh, what was known as soft development charges, and these services will now be 100% cost recoverable. So these are things like public libraries, long-term mm-hmm. care, public health, uh, child care, housing services, which is affordable housing and shelters, um, bylaw enforcement, emergency preparedness. Um, so there's a number of items that there's been a, a shift that will be 100% cost recoverable. Um, what this also does is it's an explicit list of what can and cannot be included in development charges. Under the previous development charges regime, there were a number of uh, small services uh, that were collected as soft soft service development charges that, you know, there wasn't really a strong nexus between uh, the cost and the actual impacts of growth. Uh, Those will no longer be able to be uh, charged or eligible to be recovered as development charges. Mike Collins-Williams. Joining us on the Unpublished Cafe, Director of Policy for the Ontario Home Builders Association. And, and let's just shift from the development charges here to the community benefit charges. And, and uh, your association was asking not to apply to low-rise. Why is that? So community benefits charges, as which originally proposed last year, was going to be an amalgamation of some development charges, the soft services that we just spoke about, mm-hmm. uh, parkland dedication, and what was previously known as Section 37 density bonusing. Uh, 
Um, and in the previous world, the Section 37 density bonusing only really applied, not necessarily just the high-rise, but significantly tall towers uh, that were quite a bit above what the existing zoning was. So the idea was that there would be uh, an exchange of money or services uh, for a builder or developer to exceed the local zoning bylaw as a density bonus. Um, there was some criticism of this system that it was sort of a let's make a deal planning uh, in which the developer and the municipality would make a deal, the project would be approved, and there would be a density bonus. The government's objective through the community benefits charges was to eliminate this whole let's make a deal planning and create a much more transparent and accountable system where there was actually a formula for how the charge was collected. Um, Bill 108, which was approved last summer, um, had this structure generally put in place and then regulations would work out the details. What Bill 197 has done is it has changed the framework of what the original community benefits charge would be and rather than being an amalgamation of all of these services, the community benefits charge now really is essentially replacing just that Section 37 component. Mm -hmm. okay. So we just spoke about the development charges. Instead of those soft services being uh, in this community benefits charge, they are now still going to be development charges at 100% cost recovery. There's been changes to parkland dedication uh, to ensure that it is a land dedication that it's transparent and that we build complete communities rather than being in a community benefits charge. And this community benefits charge, since it's generally exclusively focused on replacing the section 37, it just didn't make sense to apply it to low rise communities. Um, it would have added to the cost there um, without providing a real difference in service uh, since it was something that wasn't there before. Um, yet it will apply now to any buildings above five stories. And again, it sort of replaces that develop, uh, that uh, density bonusing system. How do you see Bill 197 increasing the stock of affordable housing? I think what it's going to do, and there is a transition window until everything's in place, it's going to create more business certainty on the development side that our members of the Ontario Home Builders Association across the province are going to have a better handle on when they apply for a project, when they're working through the planning process, they'll have a much clearer outcome-based focus on what their obligations are going to be in terms of the charges. The previous system, um, there were some unknowns, and frankly, that makes it a little more difficult for people to make business decisions and invest. Um, so we believe that with more certainty, uh, with greater accountability, um, that the private sector will have more confidence in investing in more housing supply. Um, and I'd also add, just broadly speaking, that uh, Bill 197 and these uh, legislative amendments shouldn't be viewed in isolation. Uh, the government is uh, looking at other things and has had made other um, changes to legislation and regulations through the Housing Supply Action Plan, uh, through the Growth Plan for the Greater Golden Horseshoe, and through the Provincial Policy Statement that there have been a number of different uh, planning-related changes uh, recently that will focus on more housing supply and what Bill 197 and the Community Benefits Charges uh, 
authority does is it sort of crystallizes what are the fiscal responsibilities. Um, we believe in growth paying for growth. Uh, we think that new development should cover the costs of uh, development-related expenditures for municipalities. Um, but under the, the old regime, there was a lot of things sort of in a gray area. This makes it much clearer. It's black and white, and uh, the industry will know what their obligations are. And I think at the end of the day, that makes it work better for municipalities because they'll have a better idea of exactly what the income is, when the income will be coming in, and uh, again, less areas of dispute. Mike, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for the opportunity to uh, to discuss Bill 197 and uh, how growth pays for growth. Mike Collins-Williams is the Director of Policy at the Ontario Home Builders Association. Bill 197 will give the government wide-sweeping powers when it comes to what gets built where. Mike Shiner is the leader of the Green Party of Ontario, the MPP for Guelph, and he joins us now. And Mike, it appears construction is the linchpin of the government's economic recovery. Will it be enough, though? Well, you know what, Bill 197, the so-called economic recovery bill, is more of a pre-pandemic wish list in a whole variety of areas than it is a real economic recovery bill. It does not reflect what businesses have been coming to the committee that I'm on, which is looking at economic recovery. It's not what they've been asking for. They've been asking for, you know, a rent relief program that actually works, some help in buying PPE and, you know, helping renovate their space so they can reopen safely and comply with physical distancing of public health measures, uh, a child care and education plan so their workers don't have to choose between, you know, going back to work and taking care of their children. Those are the kinds of policies we need to uh, reopen the economy uh, safely and successfully, uh, not reducing environmental oversight, which is one of the biggest concerns I have with Bill 197. Yeah, that's uh, what I wanted to get to. It, it seems to it that allows the governor to pick and choose which projects get environmental assessment or don't. Yeah, no, back in the day, 50 years ago, when Bill Davis uh, brought forward the Environmental Assessment Act, that was an option they looked at and rejected because it wouldn't provide the oversight we need. Even when Mike Harris weakened the Environmental Assessment Act in 1996, they rejected this particular idea as going way too far in weakening oversight. Uh, so for the government to do it now during a pandemic in the middle of the summer uh, makes absolutely no sense. And as the former Environment Commissioner of Ontario, Diane Sachs, said, this move by the Ford government is a threat to science and has the risk of corruption because it gives cabinet so much discretion in determining, you know, what projects will qualify for an environmental assessment and which will not. I think the biggest or one of the biggest uh, complaints people had about 197 was there was no public consultation. Yeah, no public consultation on 197 or 195, which is Mm -hmm. the one that gives them extraordinary powers to extend and amend the emergency orders for up to two years, right up until the next election. Uh, To ram these through uh, doing, you know, second reading and third reading votes on like the same day, no committee hearings, no opportunity for public input is just wrong. And well, according to the Auditor General, this, this could be illegal. Yeah, so the Auditor General has said, and rightfully so, that Bill 197 breaks the law because the government has a legal obligation to post significant changes to uh, environmental policy, legislation, bills, etc., 
on the environmental registry. The government did not uh, do that prior to the passage of Bill 197, which essentially makes Schedule 6, which is that part of the bill, illegal. The government's been caught out on this before when they uh, scrapped the previous government's climate action plan, specifically the cap and trade program shortly after being elected in the summer of 2018. Uh, the courts ruled that they had actually violated the law in that particular case. I think the exact same thing is going to happen with Bill 197, which is why um, the Green Party has a letter writing campaign right now calling on the premier to withdraw Schedule 6 of Bill 197 because it does not comply with the law. And, well, okay, if this is the second time they've broken the law with legislation and nothing's happened, is this not just going to become a pattern? That's my fear, Ed. And, you know, it's exactly why we need stronger oversight, particularly with this government, because it certainly has a history of, you know, trying to uh, shield itself from legal actions against it based on the government's actions, which should raise major alarm bells and red flags that this government continually is looking for ways to essentially move forward legislation that doesn't fully comply with its legal obligations. And then it tries to shield itself from those legal obligations, which in some cases has led to, you know, business groups such as the Canadian, Ontario and U.S. Chamber of Commerce raising red flags of whether Ontario is a safe place to do business because the government, this particular Ford government, doesn't seem to think it's beholden to its legal obligations. Mike, I want to thank you for joining us. Absolutely, at any time. Mike Schreiner is the MPP for Guelph and the leader of the Green Party of Ontario. Now it's time for you to make your voice heard. Our unpublished.vote question is, will Bill 197, the Economic Recovery Act, lead to a degradation of Ontario's environment? Yes, no, or unsure? You can log on and vote right now at unpublished.vote. I want to thank Ontario Liberal Leader Stephen Del Duca, Vicki McKenna, President of the Ontario Nurses Association, Mike Collins-Williams is the Director of Policy at the Ontario Home Builders Association, and Green Party Leader Mike Schreiner. And I want to thank you for listening to the Unpublished Cafe. Stay safe. I'm Ed Hand.